Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. We are blowing out segments three and four for my lengthy conversation with Johan Brunil. He's a nine-time Tour de France winning sports director and the coach for cycling icon Lance Armstrong. When you think of iconic coaches like Phil Jackson, John Wooden, Vince Lombardi, Johan Brunil is their equivalent in the cycling world. From putting together the budget for a cycling team to doping scandals that have tainted the sport of cycling, I think you'll find my conversation with Johan Brunil from earlier this week when he joined me via phone from Spain. Very insightful. That's coming up in segments three and four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link on the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My Twitter handle, at SB Radio. I'm joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and by the esteemed Nathan Roach. Nathan, huge headlines this week from Pete Carroll bolting USC for the NFL finally to big NFL TV ratings. Mark McGuire finally comes clean on performance-enhancing drugs. Where do we begin? Well, I don't know. They always seem to come in waves, don't they? I mean, there's always... There's always news to report on, but big sports business stories kind of come in waves, and this is one of those weeks. Well, and I'll tell you, we do a segment called Caught in the Crosslights, and it's the PR nightmare of the week. It is unbelievable. I was thinking this week, every single week, someone is bumping someone off the front pages because a new scandal has arisen. It was Tiger Woods. And he loves it right now. Then it was Gilbert Arenas. Now it's Mark McGuire. Who is it going to be next week? Because it's going to be someone different, and it's just amazing how that evolves all the time. Well, I know we'll get into this in headlines, but certainly the Mark McGuire thing, although caught in the crosslights, is should be of no surprise to anybody. No, I don't think it's a surprise at all, and frankly, I'm numb to the entire uh, performance-enhancing drug conversation. It's one more black eye for baseball, and uh, you know, I just didn't think it was that big of a story. I know a lot of others did. All right, Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. They're coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, Pete Carroll leaves USC. He heads to the NFL's Seattle Seahawks. Here's why this is not surprising at all. And I talked to Pete Carroll two years ago, asked him about everything he would need to go from USC to the NFL. This is why this job is not surprising to me. First of all, USC is going to be penalized by the NCAA. That's only a matter of time. He didn't want to be around when that happened. The Seahawks are going to give Carroll the final say on player personnel decisions. He's executive VP along with coach. He's going to get to hire his own GM. He is the final say on everything. He wanted that power. The Seahawks are giving it to him. Owner Paul Allen is opening his checkbook. He's going to pay Carroll $7 million per season. Also, Daddy Warbucks, Paul Allen, pays free agents big bucks. And don't underestimate this next year, 2010, it's going to be an uncapped season. No salary cap. Paul Allen, the wealthiest owner in all of sports, has more money to spend than anyone. The Seahawks have two picks in the top 14, picks 6 and 14. They can get better in a hurry or parlay those picks into more picks. The Seahawks play in a weak division, the weakest division in football. There's word out that Kurt Warner may retire. If he retires, the Cardinals won't be nearly as good as they are now, and the Seahawks could be competitive as early as next season. And then finally, Seattle has a rabid fan base. They're star for a winner. The Sonics left town a few years ago, and I think that Pete Carroll saw in Seattle and with the Seahawks and with Paul Allen, this was all an opportunity he couldn't pass up, Nathan. Well, I I agree. It was an opportunity he couldn't pass up, but it always bums me out when a guy like Pete Carroll, who's an icon at USC, leaves that position. I love seeing Joe Paterno. He's, you know, guys like Joe Paterno who've been with the university for decades. And I would have liked to have seen the same thing with Pete Carroll. I understand the situation, especially the fact that USC is uh, probably going to be facing some suspension next year. But he was like a god in L.A. And uh, I don't I don't think he's going to get that type of treatment in Seattle. Bobby. He might have been a god in L.A., but what more did he need to accomplish? He already won national titles for him. He already won, you know, what was it, eight or nine straight Pac-10 titles. Honestly, what more could he have done? And, and if if he's getting out now, why not before anything's really you know comes down on him? And when I talked to him two years ago, he said that he had a bad taste in his mouth when he left the NFL, and I think he craved the power to go back and be successful at the NFL. But he wanted the authority that he had at USC, where he was the final say on everything. He has that now in Seattle, and he's making a lot of money to boot. All right, our next headline related to headline number one: Lane Kiffin. Leaves the University of Tennessee after only 14 months. He's now the head coach at USC. This is interesting. He brings back a few people into the USC fold who were there before. And I just don't like this story. I mean, I understand everyone can do what they want. It's a free world. But it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I think Lane Kiffin, as I tweeted this week, he's a scumbag. He's bad for college sports. You leave Tennessee after giving your word to them, after signing a multi-year contract, and then these kids that you recruited, now they're left holding the bag. You told them you were going to be there. A lot of them came to play there for you. 
And I, I just, I, the other thing I don't understand at all is USC is under the microscope with the NCAA. Lane Kiffin, who has several secondary violations and has really been on the radar of the NCAA, I think USC is basically saying, nah, 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 to the NCAA. And I don't think Lane Kiffin runs a clean program, so it's going to be interesting to watch USC in the future. Well, Philip Fulmer, who was with Tennessee for 17 seasons, has been pretty critical of this move. I mean, like you said, he was there for one year at a big program like Tennessee. I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with you on the student or the the student athlete factor. The fact that he committed and said he was going to be there because you could say that about any coach that leaves. I mean, look at Pete Carroll. He's recruited guys to come play at USC, and now they're bummed that he's not going to be there. Well, sure. I just think Lane Kiffin has shown clearly whether it was with the Raiders, whether it was in this job at University of Tennessee, he is all about himself and bettering himself. And anyone else is collateral damage. Our next headline: Mark McGuire finally. Talks about the past this week. We remember a few years ago, he said in front of Congress, I am not here to talk about the past. Well, this week, he sat down with the Major League Baseball Network and Bob Costas, several other outlets, and he addressed the past. And he did say that he used performance-enhancing drugs, including during the year where he hit 70 home runs. As I said in, in segment one, I'm not surprised by this at all. I think it's good for McGuire to come clean. He can move on. He won't be dogged by these stories as he's the hitting coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. But it's bad for the brand of Major League Baseball. And it confirms that Bud Selig and Donald Fear oversaw a science lab during the 80s and 90s. I think that whole era is always going to be tainted. 50 years, 100 years from now, when people look back at Major League Baseball, they're going to go, oh, that was the steroid era. Well, two things I want to say about this. First of all, I don't want to put Mark McGuire in the same category as Alex Rodriguez or Roger Clemens because of this. He didn't lie. All right. He said, I don't want to talk about the past and insinuated that, that there was some skeletons there. But he, but he did not lie. He cheated. He cheated. He cheated. Fair enough. But he's not, you know, I, I think America is more forgiving of someone that didn't not lie up front, maybe just didn't say anything. The second thing is I actually think it's good that he's coming back from coming back to baseball. A lot of these guys run off and hide like Barry Bonds. McGuire's going to be there, and I think it's going to be easier to forgive him. Yeah, and I think McGuire's a good guy. I don't think he's a malicious guy, but he made a mistake. He came clean this week, and I'm willing to forgive him. All right, our next headline, Gilbert Arenas. He was caught in the cross lights last week on this show. The Washington Wizards guard, he's been charged with a felony in connection with last month's locker room confrontation with a teammate Arenas has reached a plea agreement, reportedly, that's going to result in little to no jail time. There were reports when this story first broke that he could have faced a maximum of five years in jail and a fine if convicted. Now, this is going to be the interesting thing here. What happens to Arenas as far as the NBA is concerned? Because even if he doesn't go to jail, there's a lot of people that think Commissioner Stern, who's suspended him indefinitely, is going to suspend him for the rest of the season the Wizards may try and terminate his contract if they can find the legal grounds to do so. That's what's going to be interesting to watch next with this story. Well, it's always interesting to see what, what players' suspensions and fines are for the, you know the crimes that they've committed. I've seen some really heinous crimes where, where people are able to come back and compete fairly soon. And then you see something like, and I'm not going to downplay arenas because I think it's ridiculous, but I've seen th- players and athletes do worse and come back better than if Arenas got suspended for the entire season for this. 
Do you not think, though, because this is his second gun violation, that teams will take a serious look at him from here on out, even, you know, if the Wizards keep his contract? And, you know, I think he should look, be suspended. I mean, the bottom line is this, is if the Wizards can't terminate his contract, this guy is untradeable. No other team is going to touch him because of his off-the-court problems and also because he's got $96 million left on his contract. He's going to be stuck in D.C. I'll say something. Plaxico Burris needed Gilbert Arenas as lawyers because Plaxico Burris, who shot himself, is behind bars, and Gilbert Arenas in an area of the country, D.C., who has some of the strictest gun laws, looks like he's going to go free with no jail time. Yeah, but Burris, he, he disarmed a firearm. There's a big difference between disarming one and holding it up and waving it around. Our next headline, the New York Mets are upset that Carlos Beltran had knee surgery this week after the team asked him to wait while management discussed options with its medical staff, but Beltran disputed the team's claims. Now, Beltran, represented by Scott Boros, uh, is being paid a tremendous amount of money by the Mets, Bobby. And, you know, just like last year with Tracy McGrady when he was cut on and then the team finds out about it after the fact, it amazes me that players who are being paid enormous amounts of money by these teams just decide, oh, I'm going to have surgery. Why didn't he have this surgery earlier so he wasn't going to miss any of the beginning of the season? Yeah, and it's it's not about the team anymore. It's all about the individual athlete. Because, you know, like like we've been talking about, the Mets said they wanted to wait to discuss it with their team doctors, but yet, you know, Beltran and now Boris are claiming, oh, it's okay, they gave us consent to go out and have this done. And honestly, they didn't. They're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about the whole team, which, you know, honestly, baseball is really a team sport. Beltran is entering the sixth season of a $119 million seven-year contract. All right, our last headline of the week, enormous, ginormous ratings for the NFL last weekend. Sunday's Green Bay-Arizona wild card game on Fox ranks as the highest-rated wild card game on any network since Miami-Seattle in 2000. It was the most watched game since 1999. From the NFL an average of 29.9 million viewers watched NFL games last week. Like I said, this is according to the NFL. That's the most for an NFL wild card weekend since 1994. We're seeing some big names remaining in the playoffs, some good matchups. I'm sure the NFL is pulling for Peyton Manning to get into the Super Bowl and maybe go up against either Brett Favre or the Dallas Cowboys, that would be a ratings bonanza, but we'll see how it all plays out. Are you surprised by the ratings this season? I'm not, especially, you know, the entire season has been terrific, so now that we're in the playoffs, to see these kinds of TV ratings isn't a surprise at all. All right, coming up next, my conversation with nine-time Tour de France winning cycling director, Johan Brunil, also known as the coach for Lance Armstrong. Very insightful conversation about the industry of cycling. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. If you think about some of the greatest coaches of all time, Vince Lombardi, John Wooden, Phil Jackson, Red Arbach, my next guest is someone who is in that company for sure. He's Johan Brunil. He's the nine-time Tour de France winning sports director. He's the longtime coach for Lance Armstrong. Johan, thank you so much for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. You're welcome. For our listeners who don't know much about cycling, can you briefly explain the responsibilities of someone in your position? It sounds like you're part general manager dealing with the business end of the team. You're also part coach creating strategies to win races. Can you explain a little better what your responsibilities are? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I I try to compare it a little bit with uh, the function of coach and CEO of a small corporation, Um, a cycling team. Is consisted of uh, between 25 and 30 cyclists, although you only see eight or nine in one single race, but we have 30 riders on the team, and then about 45 staff, so it's about 75 people in total. So I'm responsible for all those people, um, organizing the whole race schedule for the riders, for the staff, uh, logistics, um, dealing with sponsorship, and, uh, and of course, uh, the technical part of the job is the strategies in the race and, and in, from the race car. So it's a very, very complex job, but um, it's what I love to do. How many people do you have helping you? Because that sounds like a lot of responsibility. <laughs> yeah, of course, I'm not, I'm not doing that all on my, all on my own. Um, I have um, four directors, four sport directors, who are responsible for a part of, uh, a part of the team. And of course, we have a secretary and logistics manager and uh, mechanics, uh, massage therapist, bus drivers, um, and so every section has its its own responsible person. So it's uh, it sounds a lot, but you know, if you're dealing with, and like in our case, we're we're dealing with very professional people who have been working for me for the last ten years, and everybody really knows their job. So um, basically, it's overseeing and uh, correcting where necessary. Let's talk about strategies for a moment. Golfers know, hey, I'm going to be playing this golf course. They go out and play some practice rounds. They map out their strategies. Is that something similar to what you and your team do as you're approaching a race? Do you go ride the course in advance and map out your strategies? Yeah. Well, we try to, for the big races, especially for the Tour de France, we try to preview uh, the course, um, and when I say preview the course, it's, uh, it's only the key stages. We try to identify on beforehand what we think are going to be the key stages, and obviously that's the mountain stages and the time trials, um, because it's basically impossible to do the whole the whole route. It's uh, around 3,500 kilometers, so you, you, you cannot know every corner. Right. That's where, that's where the importance of a sports director comes in, 
where we um, where I'm trying to give as much possible information to the to the guys during the race, and basically, you know, uh, it's 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 kind of like they're riding with a GPS, but the GPS is my voice. Uh, I can communicate with them from the car to the bike and back. Um, and so that's also how the strategies are, are getting to the riders. Uh, we we talk about strategy in the morning. We have a meeting every morning before the stage where we decide what our game plan is going to be. And that's part, that's my opinion, and then I also I interact with the riders and ask for their opinion what they think. And we try to execute that plan, um, the plan we talk about in the morning. Of course, it never happens that we can execute a plan 100% as we want because we depend on what other teams do and other riders want to do. So you have to be very flexible and be able to adjust the strategy during the race. You know, I'm not a cycling expert by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I watched last year's Tour de France with a lot of uh, eagerness. Obviously, Lance Armstrong back on the bike. I followed him closely. Big fan of his and everything that he stood for, not only with cycling, but also his fight against cancer and raising funds to to beat cancer. And it looked to me that you had quite a dilemma on your hands. And I wanted you to try and explain. You had Lance Armstrong, who I think maybe performed better than some people thought he might coming off of his layoff. And then you also had uh, Alberto Contador, who was leading the race. And as I understand it, when you have a team, you have someone who's, you know, trying to win the race. And you also have someone who's the rest of the team is protecting the lead for the leader. And it must have been an interesting position for you to go to Lance and say, Lance, we want you to help the team protect the lead for Alberto. How did that all, how did those conversations take place? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's definitely something we we were trying to foresee. It it, it was not a surprise during the tour because we all knew from uh, the years before, Lance had been retired for three and a half years. And Alberto Contador had been the strongest rider. Uh, so I was kind of in, in the middle of two uh, big champions uh, who both have their own ambitions. Uh, and I knew this was going to be difficult. Um, but, you know, my relationship with Lance is that strong that um, when he decided to come back, that he didn't look for another team. He decided to be on my team. And more than, more than that, uh, when he decided to come back, it was already late in the year 2008, and uh, my budget was finished. I had I had bought all all the other riders already, so I was uh, I was left with zero money, and uh, that even was not a factor for Lance. He decided to come on my team and race for free uh, last year. That's something that a lot of a lot of people have been knowing about, but that's the fact. So uh, at the same time, we also knew that it was going to be a difficult uh, marriage, I would say, between him and Contador. Um, because you know they're two big champions, they they're very ambitious. But at the end of the day, I just uh, tried to stay calm. Um, I wouldn't say I'm I, I was I'm obviously I'm not neutral because uh, with with Lance I have a very very long relationship, both professionally and personally. And with Alberto Contador, it's not such a long relationship, and it was more professionally than personally. So, um, but at the same time, um, I knew that the race would dictate. The outcome. Uh, cycling is such a hard sport where, uh, at least as far as I remember, the Tour de France in the last 20 years has never been won by somebody who was not the strongest. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of talking in the media and a lot of controversy, and uh, obviously that's what the people like. That's what makes the sport living. 
but at the end of the day, I knew that the strongest guy would win and that most likely it was going to be Alberto Contador if nothing would go wrong. And so it was just my job to preserve always the interest of the team without harming any of the two. And, uh, and I think I did a good job of that. You know, we, at the end, Alberto could win without any problem, and Lance was third, which was an amazing performance for somebody who was three and a half years away from the sport. So um, I felt really good about the final outcome. Um, and uh, now for next year, you know, for the for next season, we're I've separated from Alberto, and I go on with Lance with a new team. So that's going to be very interesting. But um, at least the position I was in in 2009 was something that uh, I really enjoyed um, because it was very difficult, and and the outcome was was amazing. So very proud of that. You know, I appreciate that answer and, and the honesty in that answer. I want to go back to something you just said a moment ago. You talked about Lance Armstrong racing for free last year, which is pretty amazing. The other thing is you talked about buying riders. My budget was bought up for the year. If you're going to yeah. buy a rider, give our listeners some idea of how much does a rider cost? Yeah, well, it depends. It depends. You know, in, in general, um, you know, we're talking about top-level sport, professional sport, and for American standards, I think cycling is uh, is a very cheap sport. Uh, if you think that the, the the biggest budgets are somewhere between twenty and twenty five million dollars a year, and that that includes the whole team, uh, you know, so uh, it's it, it's nothing compared to to any other sport of that level. Um, so let's say let's say last year I had about twenty million dollars to spend on. Um, on riders and staff, and um, the salaries may go from you know there's riders who make a hundred thousand, and there's riders who make a million, and there's riders who make two million a year. Um, so you know basically all my money was spent when when Lance was announcing his comeback, and that's why I said he decided to uh, to race without a, without a salary. Wow. That's amazing. We're joined by Johan Brunil. He's the nine-time Tour de France winning sports director. He's a longtime coach for Lance Armstrong. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Johan, Radio Shack is on board as the new sponsor of your team this season. You know, I haven't seen Radio Shack invest much money in sports sponsorships. So what are they hoping to accomplish by sticking their name on your team? Well, obviously, you know, it's it's a new relationship for us, too, with them. And uh, what I can say from now, the, in the two months we've been together, uh, it's a very dynamic corporation uh, where the people who are making decisions are very, very involved in this sponsorship. It is the only sports sponsorship Razor Shack is doing. You're correct. Uh, so something completely new. And um, what they're hoping to accomplish is obviously, you know, it's the, the association with Lance is obviously very important. Um, I think without Lance, uh, we wouldn't have had Radio Shack as a title sponsor. So everything that Lance stands for, uh, wants to, Radio Shack wants to be associated with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, until now, it's a very exciting partnership. And uh, I've promised them we're going to deliver uh, up to their expectations and, and the standards obviously are very, very high. Uh, myself, uh, in in ten times I have participated with one of my teams at the Tour de France. I won it nine times, so I know that only the first place is good enough. Pretty good. Gonna... Yeah, it's pretty good odds. Nine out of ten. That's not bad at all. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's, I'm, 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 I'm pretty satisfied about that. But uh, at the same time, I know also that 2010 is going to be very difficult because um, we don't have the strongest, rate, the strongest rider actually around is not on our team. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the strength of a team compared to the strength of an individual is going to play out and also how the strategies are going to work out. Um, that's, uh, those are the weapons I have to play with. Uh, we have a very strong team, very deep team with a lot of good riders, and uh, I think that if those riders work together as a group against uh, a rider who, is, who might be stronger and who doesn't have such a strong team, we have good chances. More of my conversation with Johan Brunil coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Now back to my conversation with Johan Brunil. Let me stick on Radio Shack for a moment. Can you give us a ballpark estimate of what a company like Radio Shack might spend to sponsor your team? You don't have to give me exact figures, but just a ballpark. You just mentioned you know, your budget, 20 to $25 million on riders. Are they yeah. in that vicinity for paying what they're paying yeah, well, for their you know, sponsors? Radio Shack is a title sponsor. Uh, so if you, if, you, if you look at the budget of a team, if you look at $25 million, uh, you have a title sponsor, and the title sponsor can go um, from somewhere between 10 to $20 million. Um, and uh, those other $5 million are obviously are, are fulfilled with all other minor sponsors, bike sponsors, components, cars, uh, all kinds of other uh, smaller sponsorships. Um, we, as uh, the Team Radio Shack, we have two major sponsors. Uh, Radio Shack is obviously the biggest sponsor. Uh, they're responsible for about probably 80% of the budget. And then we have uh, Nissan on board also, Nissan uh, America, who is uh, a big partnership for us. And then uh, the rest of the rest of the budget is uh, is fulfilled by basically uh, material sponsors and, and smaller sponsors. Yeah, I mean that's interesting. Technology and transportation, two key elements to your business, and you know those are sponsors that are associated with you. How do you think Radio Shack and and to a lesser degree Nissan might be able to help make your team stronger through your association with them? Oh, I mean, I, I, we're definitely going to benefit a lot from what the com- from what the companies do. I mean, Radio Shack. Technology-wise, uh, they've told me whatever I need, 
uh, I call them and they, they will try to find the resources. And actually we're working on an improved communication system right now, um, which I will use uh, with my riders during the races. Uh, because the system we've been using, all the teams have been using, is, 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 has been around for 10 years and basically has not changed anything for 10 years. So we want to we wanna try to do something different there. And, uh, and Nissan, obviously, uh, transportation is, is key for us. Uh, it's not, the riders are not only on the bike, but they travel a lot. We have to go to and from races. Uh, we have a big, big fleet of vehicles. And, uh, and I think having Nissan on board as a partner is really a privilege for us. Johan, it's no secret that performance-enhancing drugs have tainted cycling. Uh, as you talk with sponsors, fans, uh, just people on the street, what seems to be the overall perception of the sport currently, and what measures are being taken to clean up the sport? Well, I think currently the state of the sport is really good. Um, it's been very, very bad three to four years ago when there was a lot of scandals, um, maybe three years ago, two years ago. The last two years are, uh, are better, and especially this year has been a lot better. Um, because we didn't have any, the sport of cycling didn't have any major scandals. Uh, and I think the sport of cycling is the sport which does the most against the fight, uh, with the fight against doping. Uh, there's, uh, there's more testing than any, sport, any other sport. The quality of the tests are uh, a lot more refined. Uh, and yet, um, we, have, we would have to think, has it done any good? Because at the end of the day, the more tests you do and the better tests you do, the more chance there is that you catch the cheaters. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's been, you know, it's, the sport of cycling has done so much that ultimately it has, it has harmed the image. I compare it a little bit to uh, speed controls on the highway. Uh, if you put a flash uh, camera every 50 miles or every 10 miles, you're going to catch more people. Uh, that's what cycling has been doing. They have caught a lot of people. At the same time, uh, it's it's been it's been in, in, in against their image. So, but nowadays, I have to say that uh, the confidence has been restored um, amongst the athletes themselves. I would say there's uh, there's there's no suspicion anymore amongst the athletes themselves. And um, I've seen that with talks with sponsors and potential sponsors, um, you know, every team, of course, have to show their record, uh, their history. And uh, I'm very proud to say that in the, it's, I'm not going to start my 11th year as a, as a team manager, that uh, we had never had a single positive doping case in our team. Uh, and although you deal with, you know, you, you try to organize things within your team, but you deal with individuals who, uh, who are with the team but then travel home and uh, are sometimes tempted, you know, because where there's money and fame, there's a temptation. Um, but fortunately, we always have been able to control uh, the, the riders, and sometimes we had to do internal controls. We did that last year a lot, and it really, it really, it really functioned. So... Um, I think the confidence is restored in cycling, and you can see, you can really see that uh, big corporations are, are interested again. Radio Shack is a good example. There's another example in the, in the UK uh, of uh, Team Sky. Uh, Sky Channel is sponsoring a big team. I think those, the fact that those new companies come in sets the example for other candidates. You so, know, uh, hopefully, hopefully we're uh, we're we're 
gone again for for a number of years of, uh, of interesting sponsorship deals with uh, with cycling teams. For a long time, Lance has been dogged by allegations, and as I always talk in my show. To my knowledge, every time Lance has been tested, and I think he's the most tested athlete in the history of sports, been poked and prodded, he's passed every single test. So how many times have people knocked on your door and said, look, Johan, we want to see documentation. We want to see tests that show that Lance is doing this genuinely and cleanly. Yeah. You know, Lance, Lance I think that's the price that Lance had to pay um, because, uh, I mean, because of being such a gifted athlete. And then, of course, because of its incredible story. Um, for some people, it was almost incredible that after beating cancer, he came back to a level and, and won the Tour seven times in a row. Um, but let's not forget that this guy, when he was 16, he was the, he was the U.S. champion triathlon against uh, top athletes. When he was 21, he was the youngest world champion ever. Um, in cycling, beating the big champions. So it's not like all of a sudden he showed up and, and was a different guy. I think, first of all, Lance is a big, big, big champion and a very gifted athlete. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you if you win and dominate and keep dominating, people start to not like it anymore. And uh, and that's what that's what happened with Lance, uh, and especially especially in France. France is known for. Uh, liking uh, the underdog and the guy who gets second. Uh, when Lance started to win too many times, they didn't like him anymore, and then there was all kinds of accusations. Uh, now this year, for example, or last year in 2009, he became third, and he was he, he was more popular than ever. So it's an interesting phenomenon to see. And I think that's the price. You know, and uh, in, in over here we say the high High trees catch a lot of wind. I don't. I don't know if it's the same in English. The same expression. <laughs> That's true. Hey, we've got just a few minutes left, and I know you've got a busy schedule. I want to talk to you uh, about the Johan Brunil Cycling Academy in the United States. So your publicist sent me some information on that, and the way they kind of framed it is that this is going to be similar to Nick Bolateri's Tennis Academy that prodigies from around the world come and participate in and grow into amazing tennis players. Do you tell us about plans for your academy? And do you think that the United States will ever match the uh, European uh, enthusiasm for cycling? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think there's a lot of talent and that's basically, that, that's also one of my, that's my, one of my big ambitions is to be able to pass on my knowledge to, uh, to as much as many possible people. The cycling academy idea or project is is a perfect example of that, uh, and I think in the United States there's there's really a big potential. Uh, cycling has been probably the fastest growing sport in the last decade, um, basically also thanks to the success of Lance, of course. Um, but I think there's so many people out there who have the potential and don't know where they have to go or where to start, and so the idea of the cycling academy would definitely be be that resource uh, for recruiting talent and be, being able to give them the basis and, and the education on how to become a pro cyclist. Obviously, that would include having to go over to Europe because that's where that's where everything happens, and that's where the big uh, the big final exam would be of the academy. But um, we're still we're still in the process of uh, of designing the academy and, and still looking for locations. But uh, it's, it's definitely one of my big ambitions that I want to make true. 
Yeah, I mean, you're a busy guy. You've written a book, We Might As Well Win, which is a terrific book. Uh, you're launching you. a clothing line this year. You go around and speak to Fortune 500 companies, Google, Starbucks, Nike. Uh, do you ever take a breath? <laughs> I try to. I try to. Um, I I also have a family. I have uh, a wife and two kids. Uh, live in Spain, actually, and, uh, and, and travel a lot. So... Uh, it's busy. It's busy, but uh, I've I've been a busy guy since uh, since I'm a little kid. So uh, I think the moment I really want to slow down, then it's uh, it's time to retire. For the moment, <laughs> um, I really love what I'm doing, although it's busy and it's sometimes hard on the family life. But fortunately, I have I have a very understanding wife who uh, who likes what I'm doing, and. Um, so yeah, I mean, as long as I love what I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing it. I think it's—I uh, feel very, very fortunate and privileged to be one of those people who can say every day I wake up and I like what I'm doing. Uh, and I think that's the only way to do things right if you really do it with passion and determination. And, and uh, until until now, and that's that's how I feel every day. Well, you've done an amazing job. Uh, you know, you're in the same breath with uh, Vince Lombardi and Phil Jackson and Red Arbuck, and I'm mentioning American coaches since most of our audience is over here in America. But you've uh, got an amazing track record. I know you're active with social media. You're on Twitter and Facebook. How can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, very simple. It's uh, it's Johan Bernal, one word. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm trying to share with the fans what I'm doing and uh, what's going on at the races and in my family life. I've discovered it last year and I found it a very interesting uh, way of communication. So uh, hopefully, hopefully with this with these little matches, I can get a little more followers. Well, I'm uh, following you, and uh, I'm telling all of our audience out there to go follow uh, Johan, and uh, I think you'll find some interesting. Insight. Uh, Johan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Sports Business Radio. I know you're getting ready for the uh, tour down under, and best of luck to you and the Radio Shack team and Lance Armstrong in 2010. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, Nathan, the Winter Olympics are coming up, and NBC's got all kinds of coverage lined up. Tell us about it. Well, NBC will spread 835 hours of coverage of the Olympics over five networks and the Olympic website. Uh, The network obviously just announced this. It's the first time that it's going to be in HD, full HD. Yeah, and, I mean, 419 hours is what they did for the 2006 Winter Olympics in Turin. So, 
you know, many more hours devoted to the Olympics this time around. I got to tell you, I'm just not that excited about it yet. But I'm sure as we get closer, uh, I'll get more excited. And, you know, we're in Portland, Oregon, so the games are right up the I-5 from us. And a lot of people from this area are going up there. But like I said, I just, I'm not into it yet. I'm a skier, so I'm into it. I'm ready for it. Are you going to be there uh, doing some of the trials maybe? And uh... <laughs> No, thanks. All right, if you live in the Portland area, I want to let you know that on February 18th, Sports Business Radio and the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, we're going to launch a sports executive speaker series. And our first speaker will be Portland Trailblazers president Larry Miller. I ran into him this week, and he's excited to join us. I think you'll enjoy the format of the breakfast. It's going to run from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. at the White Stag Building in downtown Portland. I want to invite you to register for the event. You can go online to warsawcenter.com or to our website at sportsbusinessradio.com and register for that event. But it should be good. We're going to do four of these this year in Portland, and then we are going to go to uh, other cities around the United States in 2011. And if nothing else, you'll get to put, uh, put Brian's face with his voice. Yeah, that's not a pretty sight. So uh, you don't, don't get do your that, hopes up. At our event here in Portland, uh, Bobby and Nathan, you guys will be there too. So uh, be a good chance for us to uh, interact with some of our listeners. All right, thank you to Johan Brunil for joining us from Spain. Very insightful conversation. You can find that on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Our show staff: Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Morton's a Steakhouse and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Click on the podcast page. You can find us on iTunes. Just go on to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. I'm Brian Berger for Bobby Corser and Nathan Roach. Enjoyed having you this week. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. 